All right. Um, go to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Last week we talked about Daniel chapter 3 about how Daniel's three friends were thrown into the blazing fire. They were not harmed. We mentioned how King Nebuchadnezzar built an obelisk. And he said everybody's got to bow down, bow down to it. It was 60 feet high, 6 feet wide, excuse me, cubits. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. And there were six types of instruments playing before it. And um, what we saw is that's one of the first references to the 666 number, this idea of a beast. And um, today we're going to pick up more on this theme in chapter 4. What, I'm, I'm just going to summarize. No, you know, we're just going to read it. <laughs> I thought long and hard about trying, how am I going to do this, but we're just going to read it. Okay, we'll just read. Um, we're going to read the, the, the first half of this um, chapter here to give us the story. It says this, chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, time out. It's pausing. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar is now the one who is speaking. Okay, so this is from his perspective, chapter 4. It says, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Pause again. Okay, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be using this terminology of the Most High. Now, this is kind of strange for us. We don't usually call God Most High God. But you have to understand, from his perspective, um, he believes in many gods. And he's loyal to a specific god um, in, in the Babylonian culture and probably several gods. Um, but he believes through what's happened here and in other events of his life now, he believes that there is a most high god, a god that is ruling above all the other gods. And so when they say most high, that's what they're referring to. When we say Jesus is the name that is above all names, what we're talking about is that he has been given an authority that's above all other authorities, right? That he's high above all other powers and principalities in heavenly places, okay? From Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, he believes in many gods, but now he's been having this revelation that there is a God who reigns supreme over all gods, okay? And he says this, verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Holy cow, Nebuchadnezzar is prophesying. He says this in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. 
He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay, let's pause right here and summarize. So, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And if you remember, this sounds very similar to a situation that he had when Daniel was younger. Right? When Daniel was younger, he had a dream. Remember that dream? He saw a statue, and the head was made of gold, and the shoulders were made of silver, and the chest was bronze, and it kept going like that. And no one could interpret his dream, but Daniel heard about it, and he said, King, give me a little bit more time. And Daniel got the interpretation, gave him the interpretation, and then Nebuchadnezzar raised him to be the chief of the magicians. Okay, So this is very similar, eerily similar in a lot of ways. Okay. In this dream, Nebuchadnezzar has seen a great tree, and the tree is ginormous. It's bigger than every other tree, so that it can be seen from the ends of the earth, right? And it talks about all the animals are fed by it, and the birds live in its branches. And then there's a decree that goes forth, cut down the tree, but leave the stump, right? And let his mind be made like animals and such. And he doesn't know what it means, but it freaks him out, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is freaked out by this dream. He knows it's significant. He knows it means something important, but he doesn't know what. So he puts out the call again, but he knows this time that Daniel's probably Then Daniel also, right? So he brings the dream to Daniel, and then we're going to pick up in verse 19. It says this, Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field. While its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. 
we're going to stop there. I'm just going to summarize what happens next. Nebuchadnezzar understands the dream, but he forgets about it. Twelve months later, one year later, he says to himself, is, this, is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And when he says that, a voice comes from heaven, and immediately he is struck insane. And he becomes insane, and he lives with the wild animals. And after seven times, now that period of time is unclear, but after seven times, his mind is restored to him, and he realizes what's happened. And he gives credit to God. He says, God is truly God. And that's where he starts prophesying. And I praise the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Look, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. This is the story. I just want to say that, brothers and sisters, we have to pay attention to this story. We have to pay attention to the story. I want to bring... I want us to understand a number of things about this. Number one, the symbolism is clear. The beast over and over again in Scripture speaks of power-drunk governments. These are human governments that become filled with pride and arrogance. And they start to act in tyrannical and abusive and oppressive ways. Okay? We're going to see this over and over in Daniel. But this is something that Scripture is warning us about. When we talk about the mark of the beast at the end of the times, it is speaking of allegiance to a human government that will become oppressive and tyrannical. This is something that the Lord warns us about. I'm not going to go into it because I talked a little bit about it last week. The second thing I wanted to point out is this. I want you to look at Daniel's reaction to the interpretation of the dream. Daniel knows what it means when he hears it. Now you have to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. The very first week we got into Daniel, I told you what this was like. This was a young boy, probably an early teenager, that was ripped away from his family and his homeland. He was put in the University of Babylon, we could think of it as the training ground, where he was taught all the ways of the Babylonians, his conquerors, his people's conquerors. There's a good chance that Daniel was castrated and made a eunuch because that, that was common in those times, in these types of situations. This is a person who has every reason to hate Nebuchadnezzar. He has every reason to hate him and little reason to love him. But what we see consistently with Daniel is he's different from all the people around him. And listen to his words. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel knows what this means. He knows that it is a pronouncement of judgment against Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to his heart. He says, oh, that you would repent of your wickedness and your oppression. Oh, that you would repent so that this will not come to pass and your prosperity will be, will continue. Brothers and sisters, we must have this same heart. This is so important for Christians to understand. We must have this heart towards rulers. Okay? We must have this heart. It doesn't mean that we sometimes, don't sometimes oppose rulers and what they want to do. But understand the spirit uh, that Daniel had was not one of hatred. Why? Because again and again, Scripture tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers. Okay? Humans are not the, should not be the focus of our hatred. All those who give in to hatred of political leaders fall into a great trap. 
You fall into a great trap. Why? Because we're commanded the opposite, to pray for our leaders, right? And you cannot pray for them truly if you hate them. The only way you can pray for them is to love them. And I say this in the same way that we are to love our government. We are to appreciate them for the good that they do, even though there is harm and evil that they do also. But brothers and sisters, if we are to be of if we're to be in the world but not of the world, we must learn to do this. You cannot fall to the political spirit. Hear me. You talk to anyone about two things, it's going to start an argument, probably. You talk to them about Jesus, and you talk to them about politics, it's going to get heated up in there. I don't know about how it is for you, but, man, at Berkeley, I had some, I had some interesting conversations. I'll put it that way, okay, over those two subjects. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot let yourself get offended in the midst of that. You cannot, you cannot engage in right discussion on the most controversial and important issues of our times if you let yourself become offended. Once you become offended, what happens is you become part of the problem. That's how this works. Satan cannot cast out Satan. You can fight for noble causes, but if you fight with the spirit of offense, all you're going to be doing is reproducing offense around you. Does this make sense? We have to keep our hearts free of offense so that we can speak and maintain an attitude of love towards those that we're trying to win. Okay, this is an important dynamic. The number three thing I want us to take away from this. Nebuchadnezzar forgot the frightening dream in 12 months. God gave him a dream that was so powerful in his heart that he sought out all the wise men of the land. He was so struck by this dream that in a year he completely forgot. Can I just say this is human nature? This is human nature. I'll tell you what happens, man. You go to retreat. It's like, right? and you're crying and the snot's running down your face. And two months later, you're like, God, are you real? Did you... Was that really you, God? Right? Or was that just me being emotional in the moment? I don't really know. Why? Because you forget human beings are such a product of the way that we feel right now. So here's what you do. When God does important, amazing things in your life, you need to create memorials to them. You need to create memorials to them. This is what ancient Israel did. They created memorials to remind them of what God had done so that they would not forget. This is important. God commanded them to. Right? He said, teach your children. Be very careful not to forget everything that I have commanded you. Let me put it to you this way. God would not tell you be careful not to forget if there wasn't a serious danger. You're going to forget. Sometimes we think, oh, but it's, it, God's God. He should remind me. Right? Like, we forget about God's name. We forget about his conviction. We forget about it. And then we go, well, he didn't, he didn't speak again to me. He could have spoke again to me. Right? I want you to urge you to get rid of that mentality. No, if he speaks to you, if he does something in your life, boom, it's your responsibility to remember it. Okay? I have a file in my iPad here that is prophetic words. I write them down. If a word is important, I write it down. And I go back and I read them to remember what the Lord has spoken to me. I want to encourage you, anytime God really speaks to your heart, you need to write it down. Okay, look, how many of you guys got Gmail? You know, Gmail gives you like unlimited, unlimited memory, right? 
You know what I do all the time? I write myself emails. It's searchable, right? You can search. It's amazing, right? Just write yourself an email, and then you can search. And remember, whatever it is that you have to do, do not forget what the Lord has done. Do not forget what the Lord has done. I declare it again. Do not forget what the Lord has done because you become responsible to the revelation that you've had in your past. This is an important concept. I have been speaking out online about this idea that you can lose your salvation. If you check out the, the next episode of our, of our Ask Pastor Dennis podcast, okay, we, I went into this for like, what, 12 minutes or something like that, okay? Here's the truth. You can lose your salvation, okay? I would love to theologically debate anybody who says elsewise, okay? I would tell you, I think the biblical evidence is overwhelming. Why? Because we forget his goodness, right? Oh, my soul, forget not his benefits, the psalmist says, right? This idea that we were prone to wander, that, that psalm that I love, that hymn that I love, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have a weakness within us to forget, so we must do everything we can to remind ourselves, remind ourselves of his goodness, right? Remind ourselves of the words that he's spoken. This is also part of why we do accountability, why we share from week to week what it is that God's doing in our life. Why? Because sometimes when we forget, our friend can sit there and be like, excuse me, you told me two weeks ago that God did something amazing in your life. Now you're saying he's never there for you. Come on, all of us need that sometimes. We need a loving brother or sister to whack us upside the head and say, hey, stupid, don't forget. I need that. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe some of you are like Rain Man or something out here. All right. But I tell you lovingly, this is important. Don't forget. Why? Because this entire thing is about us forgetting. And I'm talking right now about America. America has forgotten what God has done in her midst. Hear me. Look. We, we should be the experts on what God has done in our nation's past. You know the most important thing that's ever happened in America? There's actually two of them. Great Awakening 1 and Great Awakening 2. And now they talk to you for two minutes in AP U.S. history about it. Like it doesn't even matter. No, I'll tell you it's the most important thing that's ever happened in America. Let me put you another way. Have you ever seen a nation shift, the culture of it shift, the righteousness of it shift that quickly, that fast? It is the most important thing to happen to a nation. It's happened to us several times in various capacities. This is the history of our nation, church. This is what we should know. Even if everybody else forgets, we should never forget what God has done here in America. We are the assemblies of God. We are the spiritual descendants of those who, 10 miles from here, had an encounter with God in Pasadena on Azusa Street. And they got so touched and so broken and so transformed that they launched the greatest religious movement that the earth has ever seen. One quarter of all Christians today identify as Pentecostal charismatic. Over 250 million people in 100 years. That's us. That's our movement. And people ask you, oh, what denomination are you? Oh. <laughs> What's the assemblies of God? I don't know. You know, like we, we jump around when we worship. <laughs> no. no. Because our 
our spiritual form. No. We believe in the baptism of the spirit because our spiritual forefathers saw it happen and it changed the world. It has completely changed the world. Do you understand this? Our movement. Sounds like I hold it lovingly, right? This is our movement, right? And it's been prophesied. William Seymour himself, the one who, who, who was the leader of the Pentecostal revival, he said he saw an even greater move of God coming in about 100 years but hear me, brothers and sisters, this prophecy that was given to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you are that tree. Trees in Scripture represent people. Trees in Scripture represent people. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season. All that he does prospers, and his leaf does not wither. Again and again, this metaphor of the tree is like a person. They shall be called oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. These are people and the fruit that we bear. Over and over, we see this as a metaphor for being a healthy person, bearing good fruit. Am I making sense? He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. And the judgment has gone forth. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was a ruler, and when a ruler becomes arrogant and proud, what time is it? Judgment time. That's what time it is. When Nebuchadnezzar starts to believe it, because of my power and my awesomeness that I have created all that I see. Now, you have to get, put yourself in ancient Babylon, okay? I said a couple weeks ago, Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king of the Neo-Babylonian dynasty, okay? You have to put yourself in ancient Babylon. You've got the hanging gardens of Babylon over there. You've got the crazy obelisk that he made over there, right? You have all of these, like, sphinx-type things, and, you know, they, got, they have all these cool buildings because he was a great builder, and he looked at all this, and he's like, dang, I'm awesome. Brothers and sisters, can I say this? America is in the same place right now. America is in the same place right now. Why? Because our forefathers believed that it was God's blessing. That was what caused us to prosper. This is what our forefathers believed. The greatest empire in the world before America was an empire called England, Great Britain. And the leaders of that nation believed as they were ascending into greatness, that it was God's blessing that was causing them to be to prosper. And before that, the greatest empire in the world was called France. And as it was ascending into power, the leaders believed that it was God's blessing that was causing them to prosper. Are we seeing a little bit of a pattern here? The temptation for every people group is to come and be blessed by the Lord. And over time, the children forget the Lord's blessings. And the children's children go farther away. And God sends them prophets to remind them of his commands. And they ignore his prophets. And they stone them. And they kill them. And they ridicule them. Until it's judgment time, brothers and sisters. I tell you that this word could be spoken to us today. Oh, that we would remember. That America would remember the faithfulness of God. That it's by his hand that we were blessed. I was sitting with my children last night. They always want to hear a bedtime story. So what do I do? I turn history into the most glorious story ever. <laughs> huh, sweetie? We talked about history last night. <laughs> Right. 
And I told them how the birth of America was started. These, these <laughs> pilgrims came from long ago because they just wanted to worship Jesus, right, in the way that they were convicted to. But the problem is the pilgrims, their children were not as, as, as passionate about the kingdom as they were. And their children's children were not as passionate at all. They were dead. They'd become dead in their religion, right? And what happened? A great awakening hit the nation. Great awakening. And it was divided the churches into what they called old lights and new lights. And the new lights were filled with passion. And there was a preacher named Jonathan Edwards who was scaring the hell out of everyone, literally, right? And America was revived, and the preachers were preaching these sermons about how all Americans were made in God's image, and that how we had been endowed with certain inalienable rights, and among them were the, the pursuit of happiness, right, to life and to liberty. These were the sermons coming out of the Great Awakening. And they got ratified into a document called the Declaration of Independence, saying that we find these truths to be self-evident. We look at that document now, and we're like, Really? Is that self-evident that all men are created equal? Boy, it doesn't seem so self-evident anymore in America, does it? Why? Because the sermons were not, not, are not having as great an impact as they were coming out of the first great awakening. Right? It was the move of God. moving Like the preachers were incredibly influential in America's early history. Right? And that's why God... Blessed America, because we said our, the blessings of a nation come directly from the Lord. The Lord exalts the righteous nation. We believe this in our founding documents. One nation under God. In God we trust. We wrote it into the state constitutions. Everything was about this understanding that our blessings come from God. And now what's happening? In our generation now, we're trying to get rid of all of that. There is an agenda to get rid of the God thing, get rid of the Jesus thing, that America is quote unquote a free nation in the sense that it's free from religion. That's something that the founders never believed. No, we were free to be religious. We we're free to worship God and to trust in him. And if somebody didn't want to, we weren't going to throw them in jail like has happened in Europe. We were going to give them freedom, but it was never an understanding that we were not as a nation to put our trust in God. Washington spoke openly about this, right? That when religion dies in America, so will the nation. Many of the founding fathers said the very same thing, but here we are, church, in 2018, and we are in a time of testing right now. This is the opportunity. For the past 20 years, I have been believing that God wants to bring a third great awakening in America. I am more convinced now than I was 20 years ago. I am more convinced now than 20 years ago that God has set in motion plans to bring another great awakening to America, except I think there's going to be a difference. I think this awakening is going to be greater than all the other awakenings combined. I think this awakening is going to be far more effective, be a far greater light to the nations. I believe the prophets who have spoken and said that there will be 80 million Americans who are saved and 200,000 missionaries sent out to finish the great, awake, great Commission right here, perhaps in our generation, this could be happening. If we can see it, then we can run with it. If we can't see it, then we're blind and we're just trying to be faithful to Jesus. 
but we don't really understand why. Am I making sense? We have to understand. Look, he who receives a prophet in the name of prophet receives a prophet's reward. This is what Jesus said. What does that mean? That means that prophets are given to the church specifically to help them see spiritually. Let me put it to you this way. Who are the prophets that you trust? If the answer is no one, boy, I bet you don't have much spiritual vision in your life. If we recognize true prophets for what they are and we receive their ministry, then we receive the prophet's reward. Which is to be able to see and know the signs of the times. To be able to see from a spiritual perspective. Here's the last thing I want us to take away from King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Why the heck is it that Nebuchadnezzar, pagan king that he, hit, ha, that he was, has more faith to hear from God through a dream than we do? Somebody explain that one to me. When our Bible is filled with messages given from God through dreams, says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It didn't just happen in the Old Testament. It happens in the New also. So somebody explain to me why there's such a lack of faith in the American church to believe that God speaks through dreams. I want to give you four dreams that I think are important. Matt Lockett, leader of Bound for Life and Justice House of Prayer, Washington, D.C. The day after Justice Scalia died, by the way, I need to give you some background on this. Justice Scalia was the most conservative member of the Supreme Court. He passed away suddenly. And the day after, two leaders of National Prayer Ministries spoke to Matt Lockett. And the first pointed his finger at him, and he certainly said, your job is to keep Scalia's seat open. Matt said, I was stunned by those words, but at the same time, they resonated in my spirit. The second person he was eating lunch with, and this leader said to him, God says, I have a champion that I have positioned all along, ready to go into this place. So the Lord says, hold the fort for me and hold the fort for my champion that I'm ready to bring up to the place they should be. With these two prophetic words in mind, Matt Lockett and Justice House of Prayer DC, they put on their life tape. Have you seen those guys? They got the red life tape. They put on their life tape. They went out to the Supreme Court and they prayed for a year that Scalia's seat would not be filled. And you know what happened? For a year, his seat was not filled. Why? And they prayed this, because the Lord has reserved the seat for his champion. The next thing that happened was a political miracle. Even though almost every major poll in the country said that Hillary Clinton had a double-digit chance of winning the election, Donald J. Trump somehow won it. Somehow. Now, this wasn't a surprise to many people. Why? Because several prophets had prophesied before Trump even threw his hat into the ring that God was going to raise up Donald Trump, that the Trump would become a trumpet to America. So anybody that was paying attention to some of these prophets had a sense that Donald Trump was probably going to run for president and he was probably going to win. So on the eve of the election, I was looking at all the polls and I was like, doesn't look good. Like, we're going to see if these are real prophets or not. 
like me. But, man, I love looking at some of those YouTube videos. Have you guys seen on election night watching, like, MSNBC? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's kind of fun. <laughs> and what do you see? Donald J. Trump gets elected. Now, here, I want to make a point here. I don't care about Donald Trump, okay? I don't care about him. What I care is that he supports pro-life judges. That's what I care about. And because of that, he's important, and because of that, I support him. But here's what happened. Donald Trump miraculously got elected. Scalia's seat opened up, was open, and Donald J. Trump turned in his nomination for the Supreme Court, and it was a man named Neil Gorsuch. Immediately, Matt Lockett knew that this was the one that God had chosen because Neil means champion. Right? They had prayed that God would hold the seat open for a year, something that hadn't happened in, I forget, like 50 years or something like that, right? This hasn't happened. A, 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 a Supreme Court seat, say, unfilled for a year. I'm going to give you another prophetic word in a dream. In February 2005, a 15-year-old girl at the Justice House of Prayer, I believe in San Francisco, had a dream. In the dream, she saw a large, beautiful building with the words, the who, appearing over it. She and her sisters entered the house and began to look throughout the building until they found the attic where there was a series of old books from the past that they knew would be needed for the future. She shared her dream with the J-Hop team. I knew the dream was from God, but I wondered, what is the who, and what are these old books? The next morning, while pondering the dream, I, this is Lou Engel speaking, received a remarkable email from a man in Kansas City that included a sermon he gave several years ago on what must occur, occur for abortion to end. He felt led to send it to me even though he thought it was unusual that the analogy the Lord had given him was based on the Dr. Seuss book, Horton Hears a Who. When I read this, I instantly connected the who in the dream with the who in the book. I was immediately interested. In this children's book written in 1954, we find an elephant whose name is Horton. He is the prophetic church with big ears and a large trumpet. He can hear what no one else can hear. The sound of these little people called the Who's, who live in the microscopic town of Whoville. Any of you guys ever read Horn Hears a Who? Saw the movie? Right? So let me pause right there just to summarize, because I know if I'm reading, some people are like, eh, what's happening? <laughs> right. Little 15-year-old girl at J-Hop um, San Francisco, I'm pretty sure I, I met her before. She had a dream of a house, and on the house was written the Who. And they, in the dream, they go up into the attic, and they find these old books that are the key to that. And pondering the dream, they don't know what it means. But a person from Kansas City sends an email and says, hey, the Lord put on my heart to send you this. I, I, I use an analogy from an, this book written by Dr. Seuss called Horton Hears a Who. And immediately he realizes this is the, this is the prophecy of the dream, right? That Horton is fighting to defend a community of very small little who's. They're microscopic, and other people can't see them. They don't know that they're there, but Horton can see them. So what he starts to do is he starts to call out and raise a ruckus, but he is opposed by a kangaroo. In the book, we also find a kangaroo, and he wants to kill all the little who's because he cannot see or hear them. He doesn't believe they exist. Immediately, the thought came to me, the kangaroo is the kangaroo court. It stands for the Supreme Court who issued the death decree of 1973 in Roe v. Wade and legalized abortion. Wow! I realized that what I was reading was a parable from the past that was now going to be used in mass for the ending of abortion. 
The theme of the whole book amazingly is a person's a person no matter how small. And the remedy for the crisis is that every voice must be raised loudly and urgently to rescue all the little unborn who's. With the kangaroo's death decree hanging over Who Hill, Horton implores the mayor to call a big meeting to get everyone out. Make every who holler, make every who shout. That's what we've been doing for 15 years since that prophetic word went forth. We've been crying out against abortion because of a dream that a 15-year-old girl had. Earlier this year, in 2018, Justice Kennedy, who is the swing vote on the Supreme Court, announced all of a sudden out of nowhere that he was resigning. This was big news if you care about the Supreme Court. He is the swing vote. He goes either way. To replace him could potentially turn the entire court. Matt Lockett again, executive director of Jayhawk DC and Bound for Life International, had a vivid dream in which he was working as a Secret Service officer guarding Karen Pence, the wife of Vice President Mike Pence. In the dream, Mrs. Pence was visibly disturbed and worried about something. Matt heard her explaining to some friends how she had been summoned to a meeting about who the next justice should be. And she was concerned because she didn't know what to say. And in the dream, Matt grabbed her shoulders and looked her in the eyes and said, remember the name Amy Barrett. This is a dream that Matt had back in March of this year. A couple months later, to replace Trump announced his shortlist. And on his shortlist of potential judges to replace Justice Kennedy was a woman named Amy Barrett. I didn't realize they had literally been given the exact name of the person that was going to fill the court before the seat had even opened up. Now, if you know anything about politics, you've been following, President Trump did not pick Amy Barrett. He picked a guy named Brett Kavanaugh. And if you've been following the news, there is an epic battle happening right now in the Supreme Court. Why? Because the question is, is Brett Kavanaugh going to be confirmed to the Supreme Court? The prophetic community has said straight up they do not know whether Brett Kavanaugh is supposed to fill the seat. The issue is not that Amy Barrett is not supposed to be on the court. The issue is we don't know if Amy Barrett is going to fill a future seat or not. We don't know about Brett Kavanaugh. But I'll tell you right now. There is a battle in America over this man. It's happening right now. And it could be that our prayers have disrailed his entire candidacy. It's possible. Because we have been praying that God would bar the court from any judge that would not overturn Roe v. Wade. And that's always been the knock on Kavanaugh. We don't know if he's willing to overturn Roe v. Wade. And if he's not willing, we're praying that God would refuse him the seat on the court. That he would not be allowed to have that seat. And this is a drama that's playing out right now. I've been praying about this like crazy over the past month. In fact, a little while ago, there was a call for a national three-day fast over this issue of abortion. We decided to join in with a burn right here in this room. And we went for something like 50 hours where we prayed night and day nonstop and fasted for the ending of abortion in America. We were joining in with a national fast and a national prayer call. On that fast, on the third night, Chris Berglund had a remarkably detailed and instructive dream. He wrote, In the dream, I was seeing groups of people who instead of influencing the court through prayer had been waiting for change to happen on its own. 
They had heard the need for new judges, but were under the sway of the spirit of the age, which left them non-committal in their attitude. In the dream, I saw the phrase, Que sera, sera, written above their heads, and the words, whatever will be, will be, was being sung in their minds. They were veiled and darkened in their understanding, which left them totally content, waiting for nothing, really. Then in the dream, I saw another group of people who were all praying in the spirit. They were very focused with a clarity of mind that could only come by revelation. I knew they knew something that I needed to hear, so I asked them what they were praying for. They said that a prophetic word had come to shake and destroy the K Sarasara spirit. I went on to ask what revelation they had received, and they answered, We have been told that if we will pray in the spirit each day until the unction lifts, that day I saw they had prayed for just under an hour, then we would see Justice Ginberg come to, the sa to a saving grace that would bring about a breakthrough on the court. They explained further, the success is not simply in our prayers, but in the agreement of our hearts to fight to see this come to pass. The reason why I share this dream is because I was meeting with our leaders some weeks before the burn, and I told them that I feel a burden in my heart. I feel like we are supposed to launch a house of prayer here in Burning Tree Ministry and that it would be birthed out of the burn. And we decided to call it Bob Hop. <laughs> what I didn't even realize was that our obedience to this conviction was fulfilling a word that had, been, that had gone out nationally, that we were to contend, to stay contending in prayer, that we were not to let up. I had no idea that the word had gone forth. My wife told me that she was telling me, and I didn't even realize she told me. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, why am I saying this? Well, I, I want us to pay attention to the dreams. I want us to pay attention to the dreams. Here's the thing. I believe, and this isn't only my belief. I believe abortion and the third great awakening are linked together. They're linked God wants to pour out a great awakening on our nation, but it is being blocked right now. Why? Because our government has come into agreement with abortion. It is said that every American has a constitutional right to an abortion. That ruling was in the early 1970s. Here's what I'm saying. Since then, America has been under a great curse. What we've seen is that poverty rates, single parent rates, criminality rates, all of these things, divorce rates, everything has skyrocketed since this time right here in America. We're dealing with the ramifications of this curse that is on our nation. We have not seen a major move of God since the 1970s here in America. What's my point? Brothers and sisters, I want to lovingly say this. Many of us are under the same spirit, this idea that what will be, will be. Can I just cast it out of you right now in the name of Jesus? This idea that I'm not going to contend, I'm not going to get myself involved. And some of it is due to bad theology, okay? Some of it is due to this idea that whatever happens is God's will. Can I just lovingly break that in your mind? Can I lovingly rebuke that bad piece of theology, please, okay? Because then the Bible becomes unintelligible, okay? You can't understand anything in the Bible if it's all God's will. Then we should stop praying, stop evangelizing, go home, and just lie in bed all day. No, 
It matters. Martin Luther King Jr. said the only thing that evil needs to succeed is for good people to do nothing. And this is the problem with the church right now. We have so trained our people just to get saved and just to do, you know, just to be happy Christian that they have no idea of the battle that's waging right now. Let me tell you, I was telling our staff before the service today, I have seen more miracles happen in the past couple years than I've seen in 20 years of ministry and laboring for this stuff. What am I saying? I have been laboring in prayer for 20 years for fulfillments that have been happening in the past two years. That's why I'm excited. I am excited. God's bringing a great awakening. I don't know what y'all think, but I am excited to see what Jesus is doing because it's not just a couple people. It is a confederation of prophets. It is people all over the place who have seen that stadiums will be filled with evangelistic services. There was a word that went out that the mantle of Billy Graham was going to pass to an entire generation of Americans. What does that mean? It means rather than one Billy Graham, we're going to have a generation filled with Billy Grahams. There's going to be an explosion of evangelism here in America. And that's exactly what happened in the Second Great Awakening. In the Second Great Awakening, they made every lay person a preacher. They trained them to get their butts on horses and just start riding. And every place where people worked, they started preaching the gospel, these circuit riders, in the open fields where they were working, at the factories, at the dockyards, wherever people were, they took the church to them. Why? Because the mandate of God was on their hearts. And what we saw was an explosion of spiritual awakening in America. I tell you, we're going to have something that's greater right here, possibly in our times. This could be it. But something's got to happen first. We got to change the Supreme Court. I don't know about you. I am praying like crazy over this issue. Join us. Don't sit on the sidelines. If you're confused about this issue, man, didn't I preach on this like a month ago? <laughs> Go listen. We have a podcast. Go listen to that message, okay? Because you need conviction that abortion is murder. Let me put it to you this way. There's no way you can build a biblical case that abortion is not murder. There's no way. Again and again in scripture, to Jeremiah, he says, before you were born, I knew you. While you were in your mother's womb, I called you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, for I knew you and I formed you in the secret place. All of these scriptures say again and again that the baby in the womb has an identity, a calling, a knowledge. God knows that person. It is a person. It is not invisible. It is not microscopic. We can actually kind of see the bump. And we have technology that lets you see the little sucker kicking in there and like smiling sometimes, right? We should have no confusion that these are babies, brothers and sisters. And if they're babies, then we are living in the greatest holocaust in the history of the world and in the history of America. We are in something worse than slavery was 200 years ago, but we're fighting the same battle. Who will champion? This is our job. The unborn. Who will humanize the dehumanized? This is our job. And we have all the momentum. We can see the court stacked with conservative judges right here, right now, could happen in the next six years. Man, if Kavanaugh or whomever fills Kennedy's seat is a true pro-life conservative, that's one. Once Ginsburg's out of there, we got the court for a generation. But that's why the left is going crazy. 
there is a backlash to this in our nation that is going crazy. And I tell you, it's time to get on board to start praying. And, and look, you got to vote. We got an election coming up. When's the election? Who knows? November 6th. That's right. November 6th. We have an election coming up here in California. Hear me. A lot of Christians don't like this whole idea of getting too political. You are going to hate BTM. I'll just say this, man. If you were a fantastic pastor living in 1850, I don't care how fantastic you are. I don't care how eloquent your services were. I don't care if you weren't speaking out against slavery. In my book, you lose. Give me mercy, Jesus. But we can't ignore the most important spiritual issues of the day. That's my point. Okay? I tell you, don't just talk about it. Don't just pray about it, although I want you to pray about it. But it's time to vote. It's time to sign up. Get registered. Young people, you got to get registered. Okay? Go online. Register yourself. It takes like five minutes. Okay? Register yourself if you're 18 and you're, a vote, you're able to vote here in, in California. And then sign up. And then the work comes of convincing your friends. Okay? We want to convince all our friends to become pro-life. Look, we are in a modern abolitionist movement. Do you understand what we're in right now? And we're in a modern, look, let me put it this way. If this doesn't happen, if this plan gets thwarted, I promise you there is going to be great judgment. The Civil War was judgment for slavery because we couldn't abolish it in the courts. What is the judgment going to be for abortion if we can't abolish it in the courts? It will be terrible. That's why I'm saying we have to seize the moment in this age. Seize it, church. Don't let it go. Get in line with what God is doing. Right now, worship team, come on up.